stand our feet as we worship the Lord together. He's worthy, amen. Give him some praise this morning. He's worthy, man. 
you happy to be in the house of the Lord? It's always a good place to be. Amen. Well, in Romans 15 and verse 13, it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You may have plenty of hope. You know, sometimes in our life we look around and things look hopeless, but we serve a God of hope. Amen. So as we continue to worship this morning, no matter how you came into this place, maybe you feel hopeless. God wants to encourage you before you leave. So I encourage you, enter into his presence this morning. Oh 
some time in the middle of our worship to pray and we're going to call our prayer team down to the front and if you have any need and you want someone to agree with you with you in prayer there is power when people agree in prayer and it, whether it's for healing maybe it's for your marriage maybe it's for a, a friend or a family member that's not doing well we would like to pray with you but I really felt like God gave me a scripture on Memorial Day and it's really the opposite of remembering but it was from Isaiah 43:18. God says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not see it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And this is the word of the Lord to you today. God's telling you, forget the things of the past. 
Maybe there are the mistakes that you've made. Maybe there are some things that you did that you regret. Maybe somebody hurt you in the past. Maybe you were wrong. Maybe you were angry at God because you felt like he let you down. Today, God is saying, forget those things in the past. He's doing a new thing in your life today. And he's telling you he wants to give you a hope and a future. So we're calling our prayer team down front, and we would like to pray with you. Please come forward and receive prayer because God does miracles when Christians pray together. The atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. so glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. This Sunday after church, we have our annual Church on the Rock Memorial Day car show and picnic. There will be all styles of cars, family fun, games, prizes, inflatables, and great food. We have pulled pork and pit-grilled barbecue chicken meals for $5, hot dog meals for $3. Tickets can be purchased in the foyer or in the meal line. The first Saturday of every month, we have free extended child care for our Saturday night attendees. You can go out on a date or run some errands till 9.30, and pizza is provided for the kids. Pick up a ticket from an usher after Saturday night service, recheck your child in, and you're on your way. Beginning this Wednesday, June 1st, there will be no adult classes or life groups. We will all be meeting in the sanctuary for a night of refreshing. The church will open at 6 o'clock with prayer at 6.30, and Kid Zone will open at 6.30 as well. Service begins at 7 o'clock. We'll have snacks afterwards under the drive-thru. 
Praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. We are really, really glad you're here. Hey, put this picture back up of our, of our new building. We just got it from the architect, in case you hadn't seen that. Let's see, that's the entrance where we came in this morning, and all that's going to be new. So we'll have a second entrance on that side. Uh, it'll be a two-story. The upstairs is going to be unfinished at first, but we hope to turn into a junior high area, 6th, 7th, 8th grade area, a lot of classrooms, new nurseries, offices, and we're going to expand the cafe too. So anyway, that's our dream. That's our plan. So I just want to say thank you for you that have been given towards it. And uh, like I said, the architect's plans will be ready pretty soon, but we've got to, uh, we need to raise a lot of money for it. And uh, the good news is we have plenty of money. But the bad news is it's still in our pockets. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to say that one more time. The good news is we have plenty of money. The bad news is still in our pockets. There you go. But anyway, I appreciate your giving. Linnell, I uh, really believe in what we're doing because what we're doing is reaching people for the Lord. And uh, when we started this, we gave, uh, we gave all we could out of our savings, a good chunk. And then every quarter, we give something special. We save up for the quarter. But every week, we try to give something, too. And I want to encourage you, maybe you might join me. It's 2016, so we give $20.16 every, uh, every week. Yeah, every week. And uh, do that with us once a month or something. But join us because this church is kind of a hub that over the 30-some years it's been here has reached thousands and thousands of people around the world. And uh, that's what it's about, not just for us here, but it's kind of like a launching pad for It's kind of like the kitchen, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter how, how many chairs you got. If you don't have a kitchen that's doing something, people aren't coming to the restaurant. And uh, that's, that's kind of what, what church is like. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to mention that our new Bible reading guides are out. They're in the chair back in front of you. And I want to challenge you. Read with us every day um, an Old Testament chapter, a New Testament chapter. You will find Pastor John preaches a lot out of that. And just when you get together with Christian friends that go to our church, often you'll say, did you read that this morning? This morning we read in Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's just been going through my mind. And yet Pastor John's preaching. Oh. <laughs> and why do you have your sunglasses on? What does that have to do with reading the Bible? Um... Well, a lot. If the sun's shining brightly outside, you can't see it. Actually, I want to win. Cool I'm glasses. going to the car show. I do like them. I'm going to lunch in the car show after church, and I want to win the Cool Sunglasses there Award. So, what do you think? I think that they might fit me. Yeah, I like them. On to other things. Anyway, car show is coming up, and we got uh, barbecue and stuff. You get your ticket in the lobby, and the reason we do it is not. I, I mean, I could, I could care less about cars myself. Pastor Mike loves to do it. But it's a great chance to connect with other people, you know, to have friends and hang out. And I really do love cars, and I'll see you out there. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to continue our worship with our morning offering, and we just wanted to celebrate a little bit about some of the things that, our, that we're doing as a church outside the four walls. Um, it, it, just as we encourage people to tithe, as a church we tithe. We take 13% of whatever you give that's undesignated and put it in an outreach fund. And uh, show us some pictures of some things we've done the last couple months. Here's a church in Nepal we're helping build. You remember after the earthquake there several years ago, we helped uh, two congregations. We're doing another one and maybe a fourth. And, and we just sent some money to an orphanage in Thailand that we visited and ministered at um, in February. And we sent them money for food to feed these orphans. We also um, just sent money to help build a church in the Philippines where we're going in July. This church was blown away during the monsoon last year, and they're meeting under a tarp. The rainy season is beginning, and so we've sent in money from our church's funds 
to help them build a church. We also sent money to a Bible college that was expanding in Thailand where we were ministering at this um, February to help them build some more classrooms. And um, there was one more thing. Oh, we spent, sent money to the Philippines to help 250 children to get them backpacks, school supplies, shoes, and underwear for the new semester at school starting in June. We had so. a missionary's computer that died, led their ministry. Yes. We helped him, got a computer, and there's a Bible translator that uh, we helped with some personal expenses as well. And something here locally, several uh, weeks ago, the police were raising money to, to uh, uh, do a big basketball complex for uh, some of the inner city kids in our town. And we gave uh, probably an amount to about a fourth of that to be able to help that, and then we'll use it as an outreach. You know, so that we can not only play basketball, but it's a door to be able to reach kids. Just like every week we do two sidewalk Sunday schools, which we go out and we minister to kids in housing complexes. And anyway, that's just a little bit about what our church is doing. And uh, not only here, but around the world. And we just want to say thanks for being a part and trusting us. We love you. God bless you. you go ahead and have a seat this morning. They're going to play a video at this time. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. 
Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. The celebration of Memorial Day is a federal holiday to cause all Americans to do more than just barbecue and have fun, go fishing, go to the lake, but to pause to remember the men and women that died in the service of our country so that we might be free. The words that were shared today were shared by President Ronald Reagan. He was, in my lifetime, I think the greatest president that, that, I, that I believe in my lifetime. And it's almost like he was talking about a different America. That was 36, 37 years ago. That was his first inaugural address, 1981. It's almost like we had a different America then than we do today. America is looking for her moral soul. America is looking for right and wrong. And I want to encourage you today to have hope and have belief as a Christian, come on, that right and truth will ultimately prevail. That people that have led us in a wayward track are not the enemy, they're just a bit confused, but how many know people that know the right way to go need to stand up and let their voices be heard? 
Uh, next week, I'm going to be sharing a message that I never in my wildest dreams thought I would share, but I'll be talking about bathroom bills across America and what Christians should think about biological males using a female's restroom and vice versa, what's going on, how I as a Christian can love all people, yet at the same time stand for biblical truth and how I should figure out what's going on in the world today. So it'll be a challenge. But this morning, I want to continue a series that I've been on several weeks called Heroes. And everybody's got a hero. Come on, little kids have heroes. I see them walk in church, and they've got their Batman costume on. When I was a little boy, Superman was my hero. Mickey Mantle was my hero. Everybody's got a hero, people that we admire, people that we want to be like, someone that we look at their actions, their achievements, their character, and say, that's the right way to go. Well, this morning, we're going to join to get, look together in the Old Testament at a woman called Esther. Esther is an inspiration to me. Her story begins in tragedy. Her story begins in insignificance, but yet she rises to a place she's promoted by God for a spiritual purpose. And her purpose, of course, was to help the Jewish people that were going to be destroyed by a wicked man. It's a very interesting story. We're going to look there. I've called the message, When Opportunity Knocks. Now, opportunity, uh, by the dictionary definition, is a little, a little you know, a little odd. It's kind of hard to embrace it said an opportunity is a, a favorable juncture of circumstances that promise advancement or progress. Well, okay, but let me give you a, maybe a, an illustration of that. How many remember Forrest Gump? Yeah, you remember Forrest Gump said he became, uh, what do you say, a gozillionaire, a bozillionaire, because uh, Uncle, uh, his uh, Sergeant Dan had invested some of their money in a fruit company. It was, Apple, it was Apple Computer Company. It was Apple stock. And you know, if you had invested $1,000 at their first IPO, their first public offering of their stock, $22 a share, $1,000 in 19, the early 80s, last year it would have been worth $300,000. Now think about that, $300,000. If you would have invested $3,000, you'd have been a millionaire if you'd have just held on to your stock. Now how many know an investor advisor would say, I have got a golden opportunity for you. I have a way that you can make a lot of money. I've got an open door. If you're just willing to step through and write the check and believe in the company, we'll make a lot of money. So how many know that's an opportunity? But how many know the opportunity can pass you by? The opportunity you can say, I don't have the money, I don't believe, I won't write the check, and it'll just go right by you. Now, another way to look at an opportunity is an open door. It's a biblical term. 1 Corinthians 16 is my text today. An open door is a picture of opportunity. Paul the Apostle in Ephesus wrote these words. He said, there is a wide open door. Can you say that with me? A wide open door for a great work, although many oppose me. Now, I want to suggest to you the application is as real for you and I as it was for Paul, as it was for Esther. God opens doors for us. And in Esther's day, God had promoted her. She was promoted from slave girl to queen, but her promotion was not just for her to be able to enjoy the niceties of being a queen, but it's because God had a purpose for her to do. There was an opportunity, but how many know anytime you have an opportunity to do something big for God, there's always going to be opposition. And her opposition came from a man named Haman. He was an evil man, and we're going to kind of together see their story. But uh, I want to go to the book of Esther. If you've got your Bible, Esther chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. 
But Esther, if I could kind of give you a summary of the book, it is a great, great, one of my favorite stories of the Bible. And did you know in the book of Esther, God's name is not mentioned one time? You could do a search in your commentary, look through the pages, and you won't find G-O-D or, or a reference to God one time, but yet you see His sovereign hand at work behind everything that's going on. Let me illustrate this way. Esther is, was a Jewish girl. She and her cousin Mordecai uh, were raised in the area around Jerusalem. But lo and behold, to fulfill what God told Moses, that if the Jewish people ever got so far away from God that God would one day judge them, that's exactly what God did. God pulled the rug out from under their feet. And rather than living in the promised land, they were taken captive by the Babylonians, uh, the northern kingdom, the Assyrians, and ultimately the Persians were in control. So if you remember your history, the Persians control most of the known world. She's a slave girl, but here's this. It's compounded by the fact that she's an orphan. Mom and dad had died, and she gets over to this country, and God does something incredible. How many know God can reverse impossible circumstances? How many know God can do for us what we could never do for ourselves? And lo and behold, this, uh, this slave girl replaces the queen. The queen, her name was Vashti. She had a, a little too much sass going on. And her husband said, hey, I'm going to have to replace you. And he did. And lo and behold, Esther is promoted to being a queen. But the storyline unfolds because there's a wicked man. His name is Haman. I mean, no, there's always wickedness in the earth. And Haman wants to annihilate the entire Jewish race. He wants to kill every one of them. And God has promoted this girl from an unlikely place to, to a place. He's opened a door. He's given her an opportunity to do something amazing for God if she'll take the risk and step through the door. So let's explore it today. And I want to give you what I see as four lessons from the book of Esther. Now, when I read the Bible, I'm always looking for Bible history, Bible facts, theology, but I'm looking for more than that. I'm looking for how does the Bible apply to me today? How can I read this chapter, read this passage, and walk away with something to apply to my life? And we'll do that easily today through the life of Esther. Esther chapter 2, and here's the first lesson that I want you to learn with me from her. Uh, Esther refused to be a victim when life was unfair. Now, let me say that again. Esther refused to be a victim when her life was unfair. Esther chapter 2, verse 5, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew. The city, uh, and this Jew's name was Mordecai. He had been carried into exile from Jerusalem. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, named Esther. She was uh, a beautiful girl. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Now, I want you to think a picture, picture with me this girl. Maybe she's 13, 14 years old. I have a 16-year-old. Imagine if it's your daughter. Or imagine if it's you, if you're a young person. About 14 years of age, 15, and these people come in. These marauding people come in, and they forcibly they kill people all around you. It could have been her mother and father were killed. And they force you to be a slave. People are being raped. People are being tortured. And you end up living in a place that you don't want to be with people you don't want to be with. Your mom and dad are dead. You're all alone. And thankfully, your cousin has decided he's going to put some food on your plate. Can I tell you, she's in a tough spot. And she had two choices in her life. Number one, she could get depressed. Uh, how many understand what it's like to get depressed? You just get, life doesn't work out. You, get, you just don't want to get up. Before you've known it, you've worn the same T-shirt five days in a row. Come on, anybody out there with me this morning? Yeah. You can get depressed. You can get mad at God. Anybody been mad at God? Yeah, Lord, why am I? You fill in the blank. Why did my husband leave me? Why did I go bankrupt? 
Lord, why, weren't I, why wasn't I able to get a good education? Why can't I have nice things like my friends have? She could have gotten mad at God. She could have committed suicide. She could have blamed people for her problems. She could have, I'm sure, protested in some way. That's popular. She could have become an angry, bitter person and live in the past. Or she could believe that God is still good. Come on now. That God is still good even though circumstances around me are bad. You see, we forget sometimes that the reason there's evil in the world and bad things happen is because Adam and Eve gave the keys to the human race as it was. They gave them the keys and evil came into the world and it affects all of us. And sometimes we want to blame God rather than blame the right person. But she had two choices. She could get angry, she could get mad, or she could literally choose to believe God in a place she didn't want to be to see what God's purpose was for her. Now I want to ask you a very pertinent question this morning. What do you do when life is unfair? What do you do when you look back over your shoulder and you don't like the part of town you were raised in? You don't like the school you went to? It didn't give you opportunities like other kids. Your spouse walked away from you. Your boyfriend was unfaithful to you. Someone cheated you out of money. You were abused as a child. There's a long list of things, and I suggest to you today one of the tragic things in America is that we almost have people that want us to stay victims the rest of our life. If you just listen long enough and loud enough, you can find someone that will pat you on the back and tell you how, how, how miserable you are and how sad your life should be and how, how unfair everything is to you. And before you know it, you're just an angry, mad person. Come on. And you have not embraced forgiveness. You have not begun to trust in God. And you get anchored in the past. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, how about one example? Do you think we'll ever get over the race war in America? Do you think the racial hatred will ever stop in America? It seems like someone is always stirring the pot. If there's a crime committed, if someone gets killed, if, if something bad happens, it seems like the first question that's thrust upon us or the first uh, issue the media tells us is the color of their skin. And the next thing is, what was the color of the skin that, that the person that did bad to them or, or that the policeman that shot or hurt them, what was the color of everybody's skin? And it just kind of wants to keep things festering. Well, I want to suggest to you, my friend, we can either live as victims in life or we can be like Esther and refuse to be a victim. Come on now, we're talking about an orphan slave girl living somewhere she didn't want to live, didn't have anything, couldn't do anything in life, it seems like. But God, come on, His hand was upon her life, His eye was on her for good, and He would not turn His back on her, and she didn't turn His back on Him. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand this morning. Now... So that first lesson I see is Esther refused to be a victim when life was unfair. Here's the second one. as chapter 3, verse 8. God promoted Esther for a purpose. Now I want you to think with me about success. I want you to think with me about when life turns around and, and, and the good life is, is made available to you. I want you to think about the day when you went to car shows and you couldn't even afford a car and now you've got the best of show. Are you with me today? Think about once we were poor, but then we become wealthy or at least we have moderate means in our life today. We're talking about promotion. We're talking about success to see this parallel. Now, as we look at Esther's life, first of all, let me paint the picture of the problem. Esther chapter 3, verse 8, Haman, he's the bad guy, but he's also the vice president. He said to King Xerxes, he said, there's a certain group of people, these are Jews, in all the states of your kingdom. Their customs are different from those of all the other people. They don't obey your laws. 
Now listen to this. It is not right for you to allow them to continue living in your kingdom. Now that may sound very harsh to us today because we're used to uh, at least a democracy with constitutional limits and boundaries. But how many know if the king said something, that's the law. There was no appeal. I mean, if he said, you die, you die. And this guy goes to him and basically saying, kill every Jew. And if it pleases you, let an order be given to destroy these people. And by the way, I'll pay for it. If we were to go back and look at the words of Haman, you would see that it was a mixture, mixture of truth, lies, exaggeration to convince the king that Jewish genocide was the right thing to do. Someone convinced Hitler that a genocide of the Jews was the right thing to do. Someone convinced King Herod in Jesus' day that to kill all the children under two years old was the right thing to do. Someone convinced Pharaoh in Moses' day that to kill all the male children of the, of the Jews was the right thing to do. They use what seems like logical arguments to influence people, but can I suggest to you, my friends, it is the same in America today. If, if you stand for traditional marriage in America today, you're called a bigot. If you stand for God's portrait of marriage between a man and a woman, you're said to, to hate people if you disagree. You know, it amazes me today how the, it, it, like America has almost turned on its axis. We've like turned and shifted 180 degrees. It is undeniable with an honest look at history that America was founded as a Christian nation. Many of us have, well, most of us have been taught in a recent era today, particularly in public education, that there were some Christians, but not very many, and it didn't have that much to do with it. I want to encourage you to go to the gods of Google and ask them or to begin to give you illustrations about uh, monuments, about plaques, about inscriptions on the walls of the halls of Congress of Washington, D.C., and you will see page after page after page. I took a, a, a tour of the Hall of uh, Congress with uh, David Barton, wall builders, a great wallbuilders.com. He specializes in Christian history. I was amazed. At, 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 we probably saw 250 paintings of people, two-thirds of which were avowed Christian people. They were pastors. They were business people. They were politicians. But they were people who believed in the Bible. Do you think today we could have written on the Supreme Court of our, of our land the Ten Commandments of Moses? Do you think we would write Bible verses today? Because we're told in this foolishness of separation of church and state, and somehow a Haman has got in America, come on now, and he's turned it upside down, and good is now bad, and bad is now good, wrong is right, and right is wrong. We are confused as a nation, but can I tell you, friend, God is not confused. God is not confused, and God's people should not be confused, nor should we be hopeless, nor should we retreat. How many know the same God that was able to deliver in Esther's day is the same God that can turn things around today? But as we'll see in this message, God is looking for people like you and looking for people like me that will go through the door of opportunity, that should be willing to take a risk when opposition is there, and then see God do some amazing things. Now, let's keep going here. You see, God has a solution to every problem. God has a solution to America's problem. He has a solution to our problem, and His solution often involves a person that is willing to take a risk, willing to go through the open door and seize the opportunity to do something big for God. Now let's go back to Esther's story. Esther chapter 4. Mind you now, Haman has said, we're going to kill everybody. The king has said, okay. And this is written down. Now Mordecai, Esther's cousin, 
gives him a copy of the order to kill the Jewish people. He wanted Hathak to show it to Esther and tell her about it. And Mordecai told him to order Esther. Imagine cousins now, brothers and sisters. He's given her an order. He says, you go into the king's presence and beg for mercy for her people. And then Mordecai sent back word to Esther. Now listen to this. Who knows, you may have been chosen queen for just such a time as this. Can you say that with me? Such a time as this. Now, remember, this point was about showing us that God may have a purpose beyond my promotion. So there's a bigger purpose for Esther's promotion from slave to queen. Something bigger than Esther was going on in her success. There was a kingdom purpose behind it, and she was about to be given opportunity to do something big for God. Now, we're looking at a woman that's going to save a nation, but can I suggest to you the same type thing could be happening in your world today. There's a football coach in Bremerton, Washington. I may talk more about him next week. But a number of months ago, he was simply, after football games, he'd go by himself to the 50-yard line, get on his knee, no fanfare, not trying to draw attention, but to say, Lord, I thank you that you watched over the guys tonight. Thank you that there's no serious injury. Thank you that we played well. We give glory to you. And before he knows it, he's got kids. He's got the opposing team. He's got everybody praying. And then, of course, it gets attention, and someone who doesn't believe in prayer is offended. So his school sits him down. Well, just this past week, he was given the Rosa Parks Award for courage. Come on now. She's the gal that refused to sit in the back of the bus. Well, you just never know because when they said you could lose your job, guess what he did the next week? He went right back out there and prayed. And when they said he couldn't pray on the center, on the center of the field, he honored authority. But I think he went behind the bleachers and he began to pray. Are, are you with me today? You see, sometimes you, there's a door that's open, and you don't have to be a queen. You can be a football coach. You can be a friend. I have a pastor that, that pastors in South Texas, and he started. His name is Ron Hammonds. He's one of my overseers, a personal friend of mine. And Pastor Ron got a burden for, for people that didn't have pure water to drink. And he started something called Agua Ministries, and he realized he couldn't do it. So then he asked another friend of mine, Pastor Sam Walker. He said, I need somebody to lead this ministry. Now, have me know everybody's busy in America today. And if we ask you to do something, every one of us is going to say, I don't have time to do it. But Pastor Sam saw it as an open door. Come on now. Remember when Jesus said, if you, if, when I was thirsty, Matthew 25, you gave me a drink. And whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. Well, today they've drilled almost 300 water wells, come on now, for people who don't have fresh water, who drink out of cattle ponds, who drink out of ditches, come on, who get diseases that are easily cured by just having fresh water. Can I tell you, friend, this is just a good old boy that knew how to do a little carpentry, work with his hands. He saw an open door and he went through it. Can I tell you, friend, this applies to baseball coaches, it applies to school teachers, it applies to pastors, it applies to me, and it applies to you because God opens doors in your life and mine so we can do something big for him if we'll have the courage to do it. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Now, let me stay with Esther just a second. Esther had a big decision. I and mean, again, in her promotion to queen, she had to decide if she just wanted the benefits of being queen or if she'd accept the responsibility as well. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Now, Esther, I guarantee you, the finest clothing shops she not only shopped there, she just took it off the shelf. They, they went to her house before they put it in the shop. I mean, she had everything she wanted. She was, the, she was the wife of the most powerful man in that part of the world. 
She had it all. But can I tell you, friends, what she had was not just for her. God wanted her to use this. It's a question we've got to ask ourselves. When God helps us become successful, when you and I become wealthy, is it just so we can be more comfortable? Is it just so we can have more fun, get bigger and better stuff? Or is it so maybe we can have a platform to go and make a difference in the world for Christ? See, and when I talk about wealthy, I'm, just not, I'm not talking just about someone that has more than you do. How many know all of us have a measure of wealth today? Even this little globe over here, I try to put a couple dollars in it every week. And when it gets full, we, about $1,000, we buy Bibles somewhere around the world for people that don't have a Bible. We have a friend today. He's been in our church. He's a pastor in the underground church. He was a Muslim priest. Now, come on. He was a Muslim priest. Somebody gave him a Bible that was smuggled into their country. He gave his heart to Christ. And today, he leads underground churches there in the Middle East. Somebody gave three or four bucks for a Bible. So when I'm talking about using our wealth for the kingdom of God, listen, I'm not talking about just large amounts. I'm talking about every one of us have door and opportunity, and we've got to decide, am I just going to use my position, my, 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 my power, my wealth, my influence, my, my queenship? Am I going to use it just for me when it's all said and done, or am I going to make a difference in the world for Christ? I suggest to you the New Testament is clear when it tells us Tell those in 1 Timothy 6, tell those who are rich in this world's wealth, go after God. Can you say, go after God? It's not an either or. It doesn't mean you get rid of your money when you go. No, it just says God is first. And the way you go after God is you do good. You're rich in helping others. You're extravagantly generous. And when you do that, you build a treasury that will last. Hey, let me, let's, as we head towards the end here, we're going to go to about 12, 15. And the third lesson I'll give you is Esther was brave. Esther was brave, and she was willing to take a risk to go through the door God opened. Anybody honest enough to say, sometimes I'm afraid to do some things I'm supposed to do? Yeah, about a fourth of us are honest people. The rest of you are a bunch of liars out there. Come on now. Anyway, some of you wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said. I'm just checking that preacher out. All right, well, this is the front view, the right view, the back view, the left view. Now you've checked me out here. She was brave. She was kind of like Braveheart, you know. I saw him advertising on TV, Mel Gibson the other day, you know, all painted up. This sweet little beautiful Esther had some of this in her. Now, mind you now, the order's been out to kill him, and Mordecai said, just tell Esther to go talk to the king. Let's read the story. Esther told the guy to tell Mordecai, hey, wait, 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 just a second now. No man or woman may go to the king unless they're called. And there's a law about this. Anyone who enters the presence of the king must be put to death unless the king holds out the golden scepter. Say, what does that mean? That means that if you just went into the king's presence and he was mad, angry, upset, or anything, you could have your head cut off, and that even included Esther. So what she's realizing, she's in a position to do something of significance for God, but it could cost her everything. It could cost her life at the whim of this crazy man. If he holds out the scepter, the person will live, and I've not been called to go to the king for 30 days. So here's the lesson. There is a door of opportunity to do something big for God, but it is usually risky. Can I tell you, friends, it was risky when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, come on, and began to preach. Say, so what do you mean? 
We're here today because when the church was born 2,000 years ago on Pentecost Sunday, there was a man that stood up that could have been arrested and killed. This same Simon Peter, just days before this event, he, has, he, he, he hid when somebody asked him if he knew Jesus. He said no, and he ran away, and he was, had shame in his life. And now ever since the resurrection, Peter had been hiding out with everyone else, and all of a sudden, it's the day of Pentecost, they're praying, and the Spirit falls out, and all of a sudden, there's this heavenly language coming from the place, and thousands of people gather around. There's Jewish authorities, there's some, perhaps the same Roman guards that killed Jesus, and now Peter is standing right there. And he's sitting on the day of Pentecost, and he could have easily been intimidated by the pressure. He could have easily said, hey, wait a minute, something bad could happen. But he didn't. You know what he did? He stood up and he opened his mouth and God filled it. And 3,000 people, come on, made steps to Christ. And the world began to reverberate with this spiritual earthquake because Christ's ambassadors were stepping through the door. Can I tell you, friend, you and, our, you and I are that same messenger, just like Peter and just like Esther. And there may be a risk, but it's always worth the risk. Let me tell you something else she did, though. Now, imagine she's going to see the, see the king. She could have thought, thought to herself, I'm just going to run down to Victoria's Secret and get a new wardrobe before I go see him. I'm going to just make sure that I look just right. And my, the first thing she could have done is gone to the makeup table. But she didn't. Punch your neighbor and say, nothing wrong with Victoria's Secret. I understand that. I'm, 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 I understand. Esther sent this answer to Mordecai. Go and get all the Jewish people in Susa together for my sake. Fast. Don't eat or drink three days, night and day. And my servant girls and I will also fast. And then I'm going to go to the king even though it's against the law. And if I die... So what's going on here? You know when a bird flies, it doesn't take just one wing. When Esther, she could have gone to Victoria's Secret. She could have gone to the makeup table. And, that's, and she said, okay, I'm going to just do my best and I'm going to fly over to the king. But she didn't do it. She said, I've got to have God at work on my behalf. Now listen, don't throw away the nighty and don't throw away the makeup. But listen, make sure that you have sought God. Listen, now this woman just didn't wait at home for God to do something. She went out there. She was strategic. She was smart. She was sharp. But she was flying like a bird. She was doing the best that she knew how to do. But she was also trusting in God. See, fasting is not just not eating. Fasting is praying and seeking God. It's crying out to God. It's a desperation that comes from our heart that tends to accelerate our prayer. And that's exactly what she did. She took the approach of a bird to God. And lo and behold, listen, she didn't just depend on herself, but she depended on God. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand today. Let me wrap up this up with my last point. Something big was on the other side of Esther's door of opportunity. Well, good news. She went to the king, and the king says, whoa. Whoa. I, I missed you, girl. Come on in. Well, it's kind of like that. The king said to Esther, tell me what you want, and I'm going to give it to you. Now, come on now. Every girl in here wants their husband, their daddy, their sugar daddy. Everybody, everybody wants to hear those words. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Come on, ladies. Be honest with me now. 
This guy said, I'll give you half of my kingdom. So she had the favor of God. Remember now, she was looking good, but she was also praying. And Queen Esther replied, listen, I'm simply going to ask you that my life and the life of my people, the Jews, are going to be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. Who do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous to touch you? And Esther replied, this wicked Haman, mind you, he's the vice president, this wicked Haman is our enemy. And this is one of the great understatements of the Bible. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and the queen. Now, let me, let me further elaborate on the story. When Esther decided to go to the king, she didn't just go in and talk to him. Here's what she said. She said, when he said, I'm glad to see you, he said, Oh, I'm so glad to see you too, baby. I have just missed you, and I've just waited, and I couldn't wait any longer for you to call me, so I just had to come in. <laughs> you know, geez. Well, it's probably true. And, 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 and the king, the king said, well, what do you want? She said, I just want you to come to dinner tomorrow night. I'm going to prepare your most favorite feast. We're going to have roasted quail, and there's going to be ribs, and there's going to be steak. I'm talking the tenderloin and pork. It's just going to be everything. He said, I can't wait. She said, and, and bring Haman too. And Haman thinks, man, I am the man. And he has no clue that God's about to bring him down. You see, this Haman was so arrogant that that day or the day before, he walked through the gates of the city and he expected everyone to bow down before him as he was a god. And Mordecai refused because he chose the Ten Commandments to have no other god before his god. He wouldn't bow before an idolater. And he had no idea when he showed up what was about to happen. And after the meal on the first day, the king said, Okay, what do you want, sweetie? And she said, I just want you to come back tomorrow night because I'm going to cook something even more special for you. I sent my pastor out turkey hunting and he got a turkey and we're going to cook it for you. And, they show, and she said, oh, by the way, bring Haman with you. And they get there to the meal the next night and they eat this meal. And this king at this point, I, you know, he's a guy, okay? I mean, this guy, and he's it's just whatever this girl wants, he's going to give it to her. And she said she gets tears in her eyes, probably real. I don't know if she put a little garlic or whatever you put under your eyes. But, 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 but she got tears in her eyes. She said, honey, somebody's trying to kill me and my whole family. And rage rose up within him. Every man understands this. Every father understands this. Every big brother understands this. Listen, I was even tough. When somebody whacked on my sister when she was in the 11th grade, I had to go and I had to go put him in his place. All right? I, was a, I was a skinny white guy, but I was wiry, all right? Every man, every man understands this. And when this king, she pointed her finger at Haman, and this king was enraged, and now his vice president and his queen. So the king steps out of the room to figure out what to do, and Haman runs to the couch she was laying on and like almost falls on it and said, Please, please, don't take my life. Have mercy on me. Let's imagine that those that want to take and kill always want mercy when they're in the same spot. And the king walks in, and the king said, My God, what is he doing? Is he molesting my wife? And they put a bag over his head, and they hang him on the very gallows they were going to hang Mordecai on. Come on now. And then the king promotes Mordecai, gives him Haman's job, and gives him Haman's position, looks at Esther, and writes another decree that the Jews can defend themselves so the Jews will be protected. 
My friend, what's happened is God promoted this young girl, and she had the courage to stand up against opposition and to go through the door, and she was able to save the people of God. And how many know the God of Esther is our same God today? And what he did for her, he can do for us. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's, he's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and, and we're going to close with a prayer. I'm always a believer that when we open the Bible, God speaks to us. And I want you to take just a moment. I sure hope you'll stay for whether you like cars or not. Just stay, hang out, have some fun. We'll eat some good barbecue. But before we turn our, our eyes to that, take just a moment and just say, Lord, what, did you, what are you speaking to me about in this message? Here's what I want you to know, friend. Opportunity knocked and Esther said yes. But what will you say when opportunity knocks at your door? What will you say when God's promotion to you either made you a coach or a teacher or wealthy or successful or a politician, whatever it is, when opportunity knocks, what will you say? Maybe the opportunity is a, the cry of the poor. We had a lady and her husband in our church, and they have a burden for homeless people. And, and there was a little boy. I, didn't, I just found this out the other day, but, but she wanted to get a house where she could get these moms, single moms who are either homeless or almost homeless that had kids and get them a place to live. And the reason she wanted to do that is because when she first started working with them, there was this little boy named Jeremiah and he had pneumonia and they didn't have a place to live and he died. So she got this burden for a house. And lo and behold, just a few, couple, about a month or so ago, six weeks ago, somebody gave us a fourplex that we're going to be remodeling and it'll be Jeremiah's house. So so when I talk about doors that are opening, it could be like Esther, big, big things, or it could just be the burden of the Lord for needy people. Come on now. I mean, somebody started CMA. See, somebody, somebody starts ministries to reach people. And there's a knock on our door when God knocks. And we can either say yes or we can say no. Could we just bow your heads just a minute? And let me ask this question first. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, Right now, God's put his finger on something in my life. God's told me that he wants me to do something, give something, go somewhere. And I want to make a decision right now and say yes to the Lord. In this message, the Holy Spirit's been dealing with me. And I want to tell God yes right now. Slip up your hand right now all over the auditorium. Nobody looking around, you don't have to tell a soul. But I want you to say yes to God. Now, I want to ask the rest of us that are here, if you want to ask the Lord to give you a heart that is so tender to him that you say yes whenever he asks. Could we just say, Lord, we want our hearts to be such that when God says go, we go. When God says give, we give. When God says whatever. But we want our hearts to be like Esther's, willing to take a risk and not just using our success for our own, our own pleasure and enjoyment, but being able to use some of which we give in the position to build God's kingdom. If you want to give your heart afresh to Christ like that, just lift your hands to heaven with me and say, Lord, I want to say yes to you all the days of my life. Come on, just reach out to God a moment. You've got to do what I can't do for you right now. You see, the Bible tells us the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's what we're saying. We're saying, Lord, we want to love you like that. We don't want to tell you no. We want our heart to be tender. We want to hear your voice. And we want to say yes. Come on, just pray one last prayer and say, Lord, give me a greater desire for you. I want you to be first in Jesus' name. We're going to have 
this song sung one last time, and then we'll close and we'll close and go to the barbecue. But I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down for any of you that may need a special prayer after this message. Maybe something that was said in the message really touched you. Maybe there's real fear in your heart about doing something God wants you to do. Let us pray with you about that. Maybe, maybe you just look at your life and you have no clue what God wants you to do. Boy, I would come up and say, let someone pray with you. But anything going on at all, we'll pray. But the most important thing, friend, we'd like to pray with you at this time is about your own relationship with God. You see, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Because if you can't unequivocally say that, my friend, you can make a step to Christ today and give Him your life. I'm not talking about joining this church. I'm talking about giving your heart to Jesus. All I am in this last moment is someone telling you that's found bread where to get it, and it's through Christ. You know, when we talked about the book of Esther, we said God's name is not mentioned one time in the book, but yet His hand was always at work. Listen, I've been on both sides of the fence. I tried to live my life on my own, going my own way, doing my own thing, and it was never quite enough. Something was always missing. It's like there was a hole in a bucket, and I'd pour water in it, and it could be alcohol or girls or education or cars or what, but, but it would always empty out, and I'd have to turn to it again. But Jesus plugged up that hole in my heart. He saved me when I was 19 years of age, and I've never been the same. And I can tell you, friend, you can live with the hope about the future that you don't have to be afraid of what the future holds as you put your trust in Christ. Christianity has a beginning place for us today. You're like getting on a bus. If, if, if for example, if one of these cars out here and, and, and you say, I'd sure like to have a ride in that car. I mean, no, you got to have an invitation. The door is open and you get inside and you go. Well, Jesus is offering you the gift of eternal life when he says, follow me and I'll make something of your life. If you're here today and that's you, I'm going to ask when they begin to sing that you just slip out of your chair and come stand at this cross over to your right and someone will meet you there and pray with you about as you give your heart to Christ. Go ahead and begin to sing right now. And as our prayer team is coming to the front, there's going to be several people that are up here. And if you want prayer about anything that's touched your heart of this message, I want some other Christians to come up. We've got a lot of people that are workers out there. But someone will pray with you if you need any prayer. Most importantly, if you're committing your life to Christ, come over to the cross. I would be honored to pray. I love you very much. Thanks for being here today.